Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, sitting in for Mike Adams, here's Sabrina Hill. Good morning. I'm Sabrina Hill. Coming up today on AOA, we hear from U.S. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue. He talks with American Ag Network Farm News Director Rusty Halverson on a number of topics. That's coming up later. We start this morning with today's news. The trade war between China and the U.S. will not be ending soon. President Donald Trump recently told AgriPulse that, quote, you've got to have a little more time, referring to when trade relations may return to normal or better status between the U.S. and China. President Trump is scheduled to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping at the G20 meeting in Argentina, but those talks are not likely to propel any major shift toward reaching an agreement on the future of trade between the two nations. The trade war started when Trump's steel and aluminum tariffs quickly escalating to include tariffs on U.S. farm products, most notably soybeans and pork. Further, a recent survey shows that 85% of U.S. businesses surveyed said they have suffered from the trade war's tariffs, and nearly half of the companies reported increases in non-tariff barriers as well. The trade war between the U.S. and China is likely to shift U.S. soybean plantings to corn. For the first time in three decades, U.S. farmers planted more soybeans than corn in 2018. However, it's likely to reverse again due to tariffs on U.S. soybeans from that ongoing trade war between the U.S. and China. Dow Jones Business and Financial News reports farmers could convert as much as 4 million acres from soybeans to corn next spring. For 2018, the Department of Agriculture estimated U.S. farmers planted 89.1 million acres of corn and 89.6 million acres of soybeans. Soybean inspections from the U.S. West Coast ports are down 82% from year-ago levels, and soybean prices have dropped 11% as China has enforced a 25% tariff on U.S. soybeans. Market experts say final planting decisions for 2019 may not occur until weeks or even days before farmers plant fields due to uncertainty over tariffs. Meanwhile, Canada, willing to stall a potential trade deal with China, until China starts behaving better. That according to CBC News. Canada's ambassador to China says a trade pact doesn't seem likely to be reached until China shows flexibility on controversial policies. Ambassador John McCallum says right now much of the work on a potential trade agreement is focused on bridging policy gaps on agricultural market access and political policies. He said last week, quote, we are doing our best to persuade China to behave in what we would regard as more reasonable. Canada is working to reach an agreement with China, despite new provisions in the updated North American Free Trade Agreement that seek to block trade pacts with China. The NAFTA 2.0, renamed the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, includes language that allows the nations of the agreement to withdraw from the pact if another nation created a trade agreement with China. However, Canada maintains that it doesn't stop them from engaging with China, and the USMCA is not yet finalized. In other ag news this morning, eligible producers and landowners are receiving payments related to Farm Bill Safety Net and conservation programs. Here's Rod Bain with more. The 2014 Farm Bill has, yes, expired. Congressional Conference Committee members and staff continue work to approve a new Farm Bill and have the measure signed into law as soon as possible within the remainder of 2018. Yet despite the lapse of Farm Bill authorities, as Agriculture Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation Bill Northey explains, We're actually in between Farm Bills right now, but we're still operating under the last Farm Bill's coverage of 2017 crop year and 2018 crop years. 
And that means payments have arrived or will soon arrive to producers and landowners enrolled in USDA farm safety net and conservation programs covered in the Farm Bill. Farm safety net in this case applies to those enrolled in either agricultural risk coverage or price loss coverage. These payments that are ARC PLC payments are either on 2017 crop or in some cases there'll be some payments that'll be generated for 2018 crop that actually won't show up for another year, but they're still authorized, so that authorization is still in place. We had about $3 billion worth of ARC and PLC payments. The undersecretary says PLC payments have triggered for several 2017 crops. That's certainly those crops we think of as major crops, corn and wheat, but it's certainly grain sorghum and canola. There are barley, some of those other crops that are generally row crops. They need to be a program crop to be covered. While in the coming months, payments are expected to be triggered for crops such as rice, chickpeas, and various oilseeds, such as flaxseed, rapeseed, and safflower. Meanwhile, rental payments for this year were also recently authorized for landowners enrolled in the Conservation Reserve Program. The CRP payments that went out this fall were for the year ending September 30 in 2018, so it's the payments for this past year. About $1.8 billion worth of CRP payments that went out. I'm Rod Bain reporting in Washington, D.C. Are U.S. beef cattle producers finally entering a liquidation phase? A new USDA report offers some clues. Here's Gary Crawford. Is the beef industry in a liquidation phase or still expanding? Well, we get some clues in the latest surprising USDA report on cattle feedlot activity or surprised some analysts. Normally, feedlot placements in September are higher than in August as pastures dry out and such. But the report shows placements in September just over 2 million head down from August. The first time that We've seen that kind of a decline for the month since 2005. Agriculture Department Livestock Analyst Shale Shagam says September placements were also 5% below September a year ago. But even so, the October 1st feedlot inventory up 5% from October last year at 11.4 million head. It's the highest October 1st number since the series began in 1996. That's when USDA began reporting on feedlots with 1,000 head or more capacity. Now, within that feedlot inventory, there were 4.3 million heifers. 11% more than a year ago, so almost 38% of the total inventory was heifers. It was 35% a year ago, so producers are sending more heifers to feedlots. Now, let's look at prices and how those have been behaving. The USDA's benchmark five area uh, steer prices has been about $110, which is about the same as last year. Currently, uh, feedlots in Oklahoma City are paying about $155 to $156 a hundredweight for the 750 to 800 pound feeder steers that we tend to use as our benchmark. And a year ago, they were running about $156. So again, in terms of fed cattle prices, close to where we were last year, feeder where we were last year as well. So as to who's making money and who isn't in the beef business right now? Demand for wholesale beef has been relatively firm given the supplies of beef out there. Packer margins uh, have tended to be positive, though to some extent at, at the expense of feedlot margins, uh, which have been pressured by the fact that they paid fairly good prices for these feeder calves, you know, several months ago. Cow-calf margins 
tend to be probably slightly positive for some and maybe a little bit negative for others, very, you know, pretty close to, to, to break even. So add it all up now, more heifers in feedlots, cattle prices about even with a year ago with cow-calf operators hovering up and down around the break-even point. So Shagam says... We may be seeing a slowing of the expansion of the breeding herd, but probably not a reversal quite yet. Pretty steady state right now. Gary Crawford. A rule by the Environmental Protection Agency exempts livestock producers from reporting emissions from their farms to state and local authorities. The move, supported by the livestock industry, won the applause of the National Pork Producers Council. NPPC president called the rule the final piece in the implementation of the Farm Act, which passed Congress earlier this year and eliminated the need for livestock farmers to estimate and report the federal government emissions from the natural breakdown of manure. He called the original rule unnecessary and impractical for farmers. That's our news for this morning. Coming up next, a look at wheat control and how to best start right after harvest. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill, and we'll be right back. Local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, 
the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Sabrina Hill. Welcome back to AOA. We're going to take a closer look at one of the issues that growers deal with on the farm, and that is weed management. We're joined on the phone by Phil Krieg, an agronomy service representative with Syngenta. He's based out of southern Illinois and is our weed expert for today. Thanks for joining, Phil. On the topic of weed management, uh, as harvest is wrapping up, attention turns to preparing things for next year. So let's talk about keeping fields clean, obviously one of the first steps to weed management. Yes, um, one of the first things that growers need to do after harvest is uh, sit back and reflect on those particular weed problems that uh, seem to be the greatest problem for them this year. What were their driver weeds? Uh, what forms, what farms uh, had some of the worst weed pressure, and how successful was their 2018 herbicide program in controlling those uh, primary driver weeds on their farm? All right, and let's talk a little bit about the weed seed bank. How long can that survive in a field? You know, the seed weed bank uh, can survive for a long time in the field, and it is somewhat... Um, affected by the various types of tillage that you're going to do. In other words, are you doing conventional uh, tillage where you're doing, uh, you know, a lot of uh, soil movement, soil mixing, or are you doing a no-till operation where you tend to leave more of those weed seeds on the surface of the soil? And then another thing that enters into that, are you using cover crops? Because we know uh, that some weed species uh, – react to competition differently. For example, a good heavy uh, cover crop can sometimes suppress certain weed species, while others it doesn't seem to affect much at all. For example, uh, water hemp is a good example of a weed species that uh, is somewhat suppressed for a while by a cover crop, uh, delays the germination there in the spring, a little bit of that weed, and so in that, a grower look at what his individual uh, regime is, what is his tillage, is he a no-tiller, is he using cover crops, and how that practice will actually affect the germination timing of his weeds next spring uh, based on where is that weed seed placed in the, in the uh, soil profile by his tillage practices. I thought it was really interesting you said on the on the topic of the cover crops that uh, they can delay a weed from emerging, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to keep them down forever. That is correct. Uh, there's a lot of work that's been done with cover crops, many different species of cover crops, and it's been really interesting to look at some of the findings of uh, you know how the soil, the uh, cover crop 
will affect things like soil temperature and soil moisture. That soil temperature and soil moisture next spring will be the trigger that will set some weeds uh, into germinating or maybe being a little bit delayed in their germination process based on that soil moisture and soil temperature. So it, there's a, a, a real good cause and effect uh, of the tillage and so forth that we do on how these various weed species will react and how we should uh, plan our herbicide programs accordingly. So looking at some pre-emergence uh, techniques, how about some soil-applied herbicides? What would you say there? Soil-applied residual herbicides uh, are, are really the key to success in today's world of weed resistance. When we take a look at, um, you know, water hemp and, and palmer amaranth, which tend to be two of the most concerning weeds to growers, the, the best management strategy starts with a good residual program, even before planting, that will combine multiple effective sites of action for that group of weed species that a grower is really, really struggling with. For example, in a soybean program, uh, Syngenta as as Per our resistance spider recommendations, we want folks to start with a application of boundary or broad axe uh, at or just ahead of planting and uh, start that residual program with one of those two products with the plan to come back with an overlapping residual, something like a Flexstar GT or a prefix, about three weeks after that first residual product was applied, after that broad axe or boundary was applied, come back about three weeks later with your next residual uh, so that you layer those residuals in there to never let that water hemp or palmer get a chance to come up. Once it comes up, that's when the resistance uh, characteristics will begin to kick in with that weed, usually meaning that after that weed gets to about four inches tall, we can really, really struggle getting it killed with post-emergent uh, products. And, of course, herbicide-resistant weeds can be just a serious problem for farmers. Uh, there are some techniques to use, um, from what I understand, such as switching up the mode of action or using multiple modes of action. What do you suggest? We definitely want to always be looking at multiple effective modes of action for our driver weeds, whether we're into corn or whether we're into soybeans. There's another key factor that enters into this site of action and, and using multiple effective sites of action on the weeds. The second part of that is we have to do our research and we have to understand when we look at a lot of the premixes that are currently on the market, premixes that we you know use commonly that we have a brand name of, say, for instance, Boundary, or Broadax, or Prefix, like I mentioned, the, the other part to this is we have to do our research and understand not only the active ingredient that is in those products, but also the active ingredient load. In other words, I'm applying a product to that soil, and I'm applying it 
you know, in pints or quarts or ounces. But what is that really giving me in the active ingredient amount that is really going to go work on my wheat? So I could potentially buy a product, use the proper rate according to that label, but still not necessarily beginning be getting the amount of active ingredient into that soil that I need to really do a good job on my driver wheat. So there's really a science to this. Is that, is that why it's a good idea to always be working with an agronomist or somebody when you're controlling weeds? Absolutely. Uh, the, lo- the folks that are operating in your local geography are the experts. Uh, we definitely have to stay close to that agronomist, that retail agronomist, that person that's going to be out there helping us all summer long, walking the fields, helping us adapt and adjust our program as needed as the season progresses. One thing about it, Mother Nature does not handle, does not hand us a, you know, every year. You know, rainfall events, temperatures can really fluctuate. And if growers maintain a really good relationship with their local retailers, who also are going to have a really good relationship with companies such as Syngenta, we can all partner and we can give that grower a heck of a lot of peace of mind when it comes to knowing that he's going to have the best weed control program in place going into the spring, and then we will continue to adjust as needed as the season progresses. All right, and we kind of covered a lot of ground there that happens when you're talking about weeds. Do you have any other suggestions for our farmer listeners? You know, I think it's uh, very, very important right now for us to, like I said, reflect back on 2018 do our research, work with our local retailers and our local agronomists who are, like I said, working with companies such as Syngenta, start to develop that plan and then put that plan into place. Uh, Key ingredient here is using multiple effective sites of action for your driver weeds and taking as much of the pressure off of any post-emergent work that we have to do by using good, effective residual products. All right, Phil, I want to thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Once again, Phil Krieg, agronomy service representative with Syngenta from Southern Illinois with some tips on weed management. When we come back, we're talking about dairy with one of the vice presidents from a major food company, Danone. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill, and we'll be back in just a moment. South Dakota is a veterans state. I come from Hot Springs, which is a veterans town. We had some questions on the VA that was closing. We had people that used the VA saying, I gotta have it, if I don't have it, I'm gonna die. We had people whose parents and children used the VA saying, we need it. And when we started the battle with the VA, Christy Nome was the first person, anybody of any authority to come on board. 
She has carried the battle like a torch, leading the way for everybody else. For the veterans of this state, Christy Nome is our girl. She stood up for us when it comes to the VA and Hot Springs. And that's not just Hot Springs, that's across the entire state. And she gained nothing, absolutely nothing. She got no money in her campaign. She didn't have us marching down the street with signs for her. She did it because it's the right thing to do. That's Christy Nome, and that's the person I want to be governor. Christy Nome, tested, proven, conservative for governor. Paid for by Christy for governor. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For the grain and oil seed sector, a narrow Tuesday mix. Corn and soybeans near unchanged. Wheat futures bending three to six cents lower. Front month grain prices trading a bit lower as corn and soybean harvest progress picks up in the U.S. Traders continue to watch for disruptions from the weather along with developments in trade negotiations and export demand. The U.S. soybean harvest picked up speed last week, 72% of the nation's crop in the bin as of Sunday. That's up 19 points from the previous week, but it's still nine points behind the five-year average. Trouble spots include the Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa, Arkansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Wisconsin. Corn harvest ending last week, 63% complete. That's equal to the five-year average. Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio above their five-year average paces, but Iowa, Nebraska, and the Dakotas below the five-year average pace. January soybeans erased intraday gains to close lower on Monday. The near-term soybean trend remains weak. Monday's intraday popped to 865 and a half on the January contract was used as a selling opportunity. December corn, testing but failing to hold above the 10-day moving average on Monday, near unchanged, an hour in on this Tuesday. Nearby resistance for December corn lies at 372.5. Livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures were 25 to 52 cents lower, $1.40 to $1.72 lower in feeder cattle. Lean hogs a mix, December 42 cents higher. The Dow, 259 points higher. December crude oil in New York down $1.36. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Sabrina Hill. Welcome back to AOA. We're going to talk about dairy products a little bit. The Danone Company had its fifth annual dairy forum in Philadelphia last week. We have the chance to talk on the phone with Danone Vice President of Milk Procurement, Steve Yamin. 
I'd like to start off, Steve, with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do specifically for Danone. Yeah, sure. So I've been um, with the company for a little bit more than 17 years. I actually started uh, as an intern in France, and my background is mainly operation, where I spent my first five years and my last 12 years more in procurement. And uh, today, since a little bit more than four years, I lead a North American team of milk sourcing, which basically sources all the milk in U.S. and Canada uh, between our uh, farmer network and our plants. So uh, that's what I do uh, nowadays. And I know that there are a lot of brands under the main label. Can you tell us some of those? Sure. In North America, we have many brands. Uh, on the yogurt side, we'll have Oikos, Activia, Light and Fit, Danimals. On the, I would say, other side of the business, which is the non-yogurt, we have the plant-based, like Silk brand, um, and then the coffee creamer business. Uh, we do have International Delight, and one more is big brand. is on the organic milk called Horizon. All right. And you recently had the fifth annual dairy forum, which was held in Philadelphia, and that brought together dairy farmers and suppliers from basically from the East Coast to the West Coast. What would you say were some of the highlights from this forum? Correct. Yeah, that's right. That was our fifth uh, annual forum, so it's our fifth time we're doing this. And uh, the highlight is we had very big attendance this year, with more than 200 people, uh, more than 100 dairy farmers from um, not only East Coast to West Coast, but also all the shades of uh, gray of milk between organic, non-GMO, conventional, even grass-fed farmers. We also had more than 20, 30 growers, and we had many suppliers attend, and obviously uh, a lot of our executives. And the highlights were in the three, I would say, uh, chapters. First one was more about connecting, and the second one about inspiring, and the third one about awarding. And one of the highlights, I would say, was an unfiltered Q&A between our CEO and our farmers without any filter. It was one of the biggest highlights during uh, this session. Okay, so I'll put you on the spot and see if you remember any of the questions from that. What type of things were the farmers interested in in that session? What type of questions in that session? They wanted to know what we are doing to uh, innovate and create, I would say, uh, demand and how confident we feel in this market. So they're very interested to know about our pipeline of innovation. They were interested on our movement of soil health. They were very interested uh, also on how we are managing this direct relationship. And we do have a very specific model on how we pay our farmers called Cost Plus. They were very interested if we are rolling out those to organic farmers. So those are two or three topics that came up a lot during those sessions. You know, I'm kind of touching on one of the first topics that you mentioned. I, the dairy industry just continues to face some hard times uh, with, you know, talks of oversupply of U.S. milk and in some areas uh, decreasing consumer consumer demand for some things. What kind of trends are you noticing? Well, the good news is uh, we are in a market 
uh, of yogurt, not all dairy. We have a lot of yogurt business, and we do have some fluid milk. And uh, we, our fluid milk is in the value added, I would say, category. So if you look more specifically in the dairy industry, we are in those markets where we see growth, and, uh, and especially with the innovations we have. Uh, if you look at uh, Activia um, shots, it's one of the biggest innovation in the dairy industry. So we are seeing trends more in the subcategory, like also cheese is doing. So even though there is a gloomy overall dairy industry decline uh, in the subcategories, we are in the ones that we are growing into. So uh, this is very exciting for us and for our farmer partners to uh, sell their milk to companies who are innovating. You know, and also, like you mentioned, consumer demands um, kind of changing a little bit over the last several years. Transparency has become a bit of a buzzword in the food industry. And I know that your company really prides itself on working with dairy farmers. How do you think working with dairy farmers contributes to that transparency? Great question. We are a big believer of that piece, and actually we are pioneering in some of our sourcing model to have direct relationship with our farmers and have, I would say, no intermediate. We do have people where we have contracts directly with them. We know who is the farmer, who is his family. Our teams are on the ground with them anytime we want. We don't even have to give them notices. And uh, we definitely, um, I would say, connect with them in a very different way that we used to connect in the past, and this is increasing more and more. We do have farmers who are willing to write, uh, you know, reports, uh, some on their social media, on how they enjoy having that relationship with us. And that's very, very important in terms of transparency for consumers because they want to know where their milk is coming from. And if professors are connecting directly with farmers, it's a huge step in the transparency journey. And I know that another thing, and I'm, I'm stealing a quote directly some, uh, from some press information from the company. Uh, the company prides itself on source ingredients made with integrity. What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is very related to uh, what I described in terms of having direct relationship with farmers, but also pay them in a very different way in terms of very sustainable pay with true cost-loss model and having very transparent direct relationship. That's a big step for me in terms of integrity of the relationship between farmers and the ones who bring this milk in front of millions of consumers. All right. You know, can you talk on the Soil Health Initiative? Uh, soil Health, of course, is very interesting to everybody. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So in the context of the pledge that we uh, committed, um, I would say, two years ago, it was one pillar linked to sustainable agricultural practices. And in that, we define that soil health is one of our main priorities in terms of investing in the soil, much more than what we invested all in the street the past 20 years on the seed. So we launched an initiative where we selected, I would say, 16 uh, farmer partners to a pilot uh, a little bit larger than 25,000 acres, around 300 fields around the entire United States, all the way from the east to the west coast. And we said, let's start with the baseline in terms of soil health to measure how healthy are your soils. And we did partner with big universities, uh, Cornell University, Ohio State, 
to really define what is soil health and how do you measure this piece. And we started a year ago, I would say, and I'm happy to see the first results of that first baseline that are very promising. And, uh, and you can see that really growers uh, in this country are uh, really focusing much more on the soil and, and improving practices. And our pilot shows that we have a great partnership with those growers that are starting to really change in terms of mindset and <clears throat> changing the way we invest into that soil. Again, putting you on the spot, um, and we may have to look this up later, but for our listeners, our farmer listeners who are interested in finding out more about this, is there a website or someplace where they can go? Well, to be honest, we haven't created a website. We're being very humble into this uh, because it's really baby step into a huge world of agriculture and a huge mindset, mindset change. But I'm happy to connect as some of the farmers are interested with people in my team to talk to them a little bit more in detail on what does it mean and uh, what partnership we are doing and concretely how we are changing the practices uh, in those chapters. So I'm happy to say also that uh, if you want more information, farmers can go on our website and there is uh, a, a fact sheet, a little bit high level, on what we are doing. And uh, you can find already some information through our website. All right. And then the last thing that I wanted to ask you, um, you know, we talked we talked about several things going on in dairy and yogurt industries and uh, farmers. Um, if you could speak one-on-one -on -one with a farmer or a farming family, what is it that you would tell them? Uh, if I want to speak one-on-one -on -one with a family farmer, definitely I will talk about their sustainability and their generational transfer and their long-term uh, commitment. And uh, I would convince them that partnering with the known is a right step that they can take to make sure we keep in this country farmers farming. So, uh, and the way I can explain it to them will be through the value added that we bring in our direct relationship and the way we reward those farmers for their long-term sustainability. So that will be my main chapter with them. All right, Steve, that's everything I had for you, but is there any other comment that you would like to make? No, I think uh, you did touch base all around uh, um, the spectrum here. I'm very happy that uh, more and more, whatever the processors are doing nowadays to connect better with farmers is, is starting to be a lot more in the spotlight and companies and uh, journalists like you are, uh, are exposing the great work that the companies are doing to connect better from fork to the plate of the consumer. Known Vice President of Milk Procurement, Steve Yameen. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill. We'll be back in just a moment. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed so if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep call now for prices and information and then decide when you see how little they cost discover craftmatic for less up to 50 percent less than today's leading memory foam brand call 1-800-318-7903 that's 1-800-318-7903 1-800-318-7903 call now i'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better how do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit FDA.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. We talked to some of Billy Sutton's neighbors, people who have known him for years. 
Here's what they had to say. The Billy you see on TV is not real Billy. His folks ranch down the river bottom. We were two miles there. apart, so I know. He is a Democrat, and he tries to pretend he's not. People can't see it because they're being told something else. Senator Sutton will campaign as a moderate Democrat and then turn around and govern as a liberal. We know that's what he is. He's going to appoint a cabinet full of people who do stand on that platform. What he believes depends on who he's talking to. Billy says one thing and then appears to mean another. And he doesn't stand up for our values. This is a guy that, in his own words, was thrilled to support Hillary Clinton. He said that she has American family values. She has no family values that we have. You're voting for a liberal philosophy, and we don't need that in South Dakota. Democrat Billy Sutton, what he believes depends on who he's talking to. You can't trust Billy. Paid for by Christie for Governor. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Sabrina Hill. Welcome back to AOA. Our Rusty Halverson had the chance to talk with U.S. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue last week ahead of Purdue's visit to South Dakota. They touched on a number of topics important to Midwest farmers. Here's the interview. Well, thanks for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. And uh, just going to touch on a few different topics. Uh, I'm an old school farm broadcaster. I've got a live market check at 845, so I'll let you go before then if that's okay. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, acting EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler telling reporters last week that the EPA has the authority to move ahead on E15 without the help of Congress, and he was hopeful that the oil industry would join the effort to make biofuels function uh, Uh, the policy function better rather than taking the issue to court. Mr. Secretary, uh, do you share Mr. Wheeler's hope, and do you think we're on track for E15 approval for the summer driving season next year? Well, absolutely. I share his uh, thoughts on both uh, parts of his comment. Uh, I absolutely believe he has the legal authority to do that. The DPA does. And I would uh, ask our citizenry in many areas uh, on policy issues uh, rather than being lit- litigious, why don't we just uh, uh, decide how we can work together and get along? And I, I ho- would hope that the petroleum industry would do that regarding ethanol. We think it's, uh, you know, our 10% blend has been around for a long time. It's been well-received, and we think the E15 has been around for nine months out of the year. So we think it's really uh, uh, spurious for the petroleum industry to uh, take to the courts to uh, – try to overturn this. We don't think that'll be successful, and we would love to see the petroleum industry come along and say, why don't we have all of the above? We've got wind, we've got solar, we've got uh, ethanol, and we've got uh, petroleum. So let's, uh, let's use our bounty of American in- energy independence to, uh, uh, to continue. Absolutely. Now, let's talk quickly about uh, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. A recent poll by the Angus Reid Institute indicated that Canadian citizens overall are somewhat lukewarm about the agreement. 30% of respondents pleased, 32% suggested they were disappointed. If you had to gauge the reaction of U.S. agriculture to that agreement, what percentages would you have for being pleased with what the U.S. accomplished in the negotiations, and perhaps what percentage might be a little disappointed that we maybe didn't get enough well again i think overwhelmingly i don't know that i can quantify it by digits but i think overwhelmingly uh, our stakeholders our industry our agricultural constituency 
has shown overwhelming support for it. I thought, uh, I think you probably saw the car, the field in the Indiana that was uh, thanking President Trump for the E15, and we think that holds for the trade agreements as well. We need to get these uh, retaliatory tariffs off, and I think when we do that, then uh, it'll be absolutely unanimous as regarding the trade policies of President Trump making people play by the rules. The, uh, we know that NAFTA was good for agriculture generally, for the most part. This is an improved uh, agreement that President Trump, uh, just by sheer will and by persistence and grit, uh, uh, was able to negotiate. So we think our agricultural constituents uh, in the kind of the domino effect of Korea, uh, the Mexico-Canadian deal, looking forward to beginning discussions with Japan and the EU, we think we're really reestablishing a uh, an amazing trade policy and platform going forward. Uh, you're asking Congress for a supplemental to help out some of the producers after the recent hurricanes. Have you had a chance to visit with uh, some of your friends back home? How are the recovery efforts going for farmers and livestock producers? Well, I tell you, it's been tough. The uh, farm safety net programs that we have ordinarily in the farm program don't contemplate this kind of devastation. And uh, unlike many of our row crops, such as uh, corn and beans, uh, uh, we had a lot of damage in generational crops like pecan trees that, you know, that live uh, 30, 40, 50, 70 years. And uh, it's been, uh, they've been decimated in some parts, as well as uh, a cotton crop uh, has been blown over, blown out. They're literally where people have had harvested a portion of the field and came back after the six hours of wind blowing and they couldn't tell where they had harvested and where they hadn't. And it was extremely buffer cotton crop. So we do hope that Congress will look at this situation and uh, help those producers who are suffering in timber and pecans, cotton, peanuts, and other crops down there. Okay. Uh, looking ahead, uh, just to wrap up, uh, Mr. Secretary, I understand that uh, Trade Ambassador Greg Dowd will be in Kansas City for the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Will you have a chance to come visit this year, or are, are you busy this year? You know, I was there last year. I don't know that my schedule is going to allow that this year, but okay. it's always a good group. And the good news is uh, Ambassador Dowd was very helpful in the old USMCA agreement, and he's uh, very well-versed in agriculture. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Secretary Sonny. We appreciate it. And uh, safe travels. We'll see you on the road somewhere. Thank you, Rusty. I thought you might want to talk a little football this fall. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the bison a little bit? <laughs> uh, how's your team doing this season? Well, LSU kind of humbled us a couple of weeks ago, as you know. but. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll have another shot at them. I believe uh, the Georgia Bulldogs will win the East, and we may see uh, Alabama or LSU in the SEC championship. Well, I tell you what, I love your spirit, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Okay, Thank you, you bet. You bet. You take care, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Once again, American Ag Network Farm News Director Rusty Halverson talking with U.S. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue. In a couple of our segments today, we talked about soil health. Well, coming up in January, there's a Soil Health Summit, and the public is invited to attend. The Soil Health Partnership announcing recently that for the first time, the organization has opened up to the public the annual Soil Health Summit. It's January 15th and 16th in St. Louis. They're encouraging growers and agronomists to attend and say that attendees will benefit from peer-to-peer -peer networking, collaboration, and education on the latest in soil health strategies. 
including new data and insights from the SHP. In some other news, an Iowa resident is the 2018 Star in AgriScience winner for the National FFA organization. Eric Kolmus is a student from the South O'Brien FFA chapter in Polina, Iowa. He created an ethanol-producing facility in his basement as part of his supervised agricultural experience. That's our show for today. Coming up tomorrow, Rusty Halverson is back, taking a focus on markets. I go into the world of social media and how it's affecting society's view of agriculture. And Mike Adams joins us from the Joint Dairy Producers Meeting happening this week in Phoenix. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill. Join us again tomorrow.